Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by one of our favorite products, Almond Cow. We've been using it for well over a year, and I say we, mostly my husband Mark, who is mooing. Honey, what are your thoughts about Almond Cow? <laughs> this is the Moo Man. He's back. <laughs> I love the Almond Cow because we know how great it is. Anything that you could can make a plant-based milk with, you're set. And I just have it. I don't need to make make that much. It's just sitting in the pantry. And then when we're ready, I just make it. It takes a minute because it, it tastes so good. It tastes so good. And for those of you who are thinking about it, let me tell you why. There, there are no added preservatives, any kind of artificial stuff. You put in it what you want. You can sweeten it to your taste. It is so easy to make, so easy to clean up. And it's pure gold. It really is. And they give you a lot of recipes on the Almond Cow website. You have the recipe, so you don't have to think, you don't have to go anywhere to find it. It's there for you. Yes, we love it so much. So if you're interested in getting your own, go check out the link or just go to their site, almondcow.co, and you can use code Lara, L-A-R-A, for extra savings. Go get yourself one and have fun. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. I am delighted to be joined today by Jill Zimmerman, another physical therapist and also personal trainer, and like me, I like to say we went rogue. Uh, we PTs who are practicing in a different type of way, not in the traditional clinical practice, because she has her own practice and it is located in Charleston. We talk about her venture into PT and then how she rerouted into working for herself because she wanted to spend more time with her clients, getting to know them, and not just because of the diagnosis. So like me, she likes to look at the whole picture. How are you moving? How are you taking care of yourself? How are you breathing? How are you sleeping? What is your stress? All of these contribute to pain, contribute to not managing um, stress well, and then how that plays out in your body and in your spirit. So we speak about this as PTs and as people who've worked with a variety of clients and have a similar goal of just wanting people to age well and not have this idea that they can't do something just because they're older or because they've gotten feedback from other professionals that said they shouldn't be doing something because they're older. 
Jill is wonderful to talk to. She's delightful and humble, and I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from her. Welcome, Jill. Another PT. I'm always excited to have another physical therapist on the podcast, and I've just really admired your work. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm super excited. Thank you. I'm really honored that you invited me. So thank you. Well, let's launch in because it, I think it's always interesting. I'm curious, but I, I know people um, always want to know, like, how did you become a physical therapist? How did you decide that was your career path? Um, even if it's not like what you would consider inspiring, just kind of what your thought processes are. And then we'll go from there. What happened after you graduated? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a question I get a lot, actually. Um, well, I I knew that I always wanted to work with people. I knew that I didn't want to sit at a desk. And I knew that I wanted to work in something that was sort of, you know, health related. Um, I actually, a lot of physical therapists sort of like had injuries as kids that sort of, you know, maybe they had physical therapy themselves. They went into the field because of that. That never happened to me. Um, I sort of skirted around that for most of my youth, but I just wanted to really work with people. Um, and I kind of, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I could be a physician's assistant. And then I was like kind of going back and forth between that and PT. Um, turned out you had to take organic chemistry to go to PA school. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. So I was like, PT school it is. So I went right from undergrad. I was a kinesiology major. I went right from undergrad to PT school straight off. And um, kind of went into, you know, outpatient orthopedics after that at a more sort of traditional clinic. Um, but I got really burned out from that fairly quickly. So within five years of saying, I'm tired of um, doing what the insurance companies want me to do, being limited and put in a box in terms of what I think is the best, you know, plan of care, um, being overworked. Wow. <laughs> um, I decided to sort of break out on my own. And now I have my own place where I do sort of like a hybrid of PT and training and sort of a more lifestyle wellness model. But it's it's interesting because when I looked back, um, I sort of realized that maybe I didn't have these like acute injuries as a kid, but I did have sort of this like ongoing uh, back pain issue that I don't even consider an injury because it was just something I kind of lived with. I remember my mom always asking my mom to like crack my back and like stand on my back and like I was just always doing that as a kid. And I think there was something in me that was like, I hurt all the time and I I need to figure this out. Like, I don't know, I, if that's something that hit me within the last year, I was like, oh my gosh, like I've, I've hurt, like this isn't normal. I've hurt my whole life and that's not normal. And maybe that's just what drove me to sort of like want to figure out the human body and what I could do proactively myself as my own advocate to heal myself because um, I was just living with it day to day. So it was kind of, I just came to that revelation <laughs> later in life. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to just go right into that and we'll venture back into some of these other, like what it's like to go kind of rogue, as I like to call it, as I did that 25 years ago, <laughs> before 24 years ago, whatever it was, before it was, um, more common like it is now. Um, but let's talk about pain because I think it's so interesting, this word pain. And, you know, I, I went through, I actually had a podcast and I was like, you know, let's not use that word because your brain actually gets very attached to it. Like, can you describe it? Can, but at the end of the day, it is 
people understand it. What's act what's interesting is people ignore it or like you maybe for many years adapted to it and um don't realize that it's not I guess normal is maybe not the word but it, it isn't you're not sentenced to this life of pain yeah. of feeling the same way you do now. Right. So let's start there. How would you say cuz I'm sure this has a lot to do with stress in the body, trauma in the body. Mm-hmm. What um how do you explain how these things show up in the form of pain? Well, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, so like people think, oh, I fell over and twisted my ankle and I had pain. Okay. So that sure. is one form of pain. Of course, sure. that's acute pain. Yeah. You're talking about this kind of nagging, consistent uh, ache. Yeah. Now, some of that, then we almost are trained in PT to look at that as like, there's a tissue issue. So, there's a tissue damage, right? Right. Yeah. But in fact, that could be the case or it could be other things. Sure, sure. And and pain science certainly isn't like my specialty area. I am not someone who knows everything about pain science, but you're right in that there is, it is not just mechanical. Um, there are a lot of other factors that go in somebody's experience of pain, we'll say. So, you know, stress can elevate pain, re- pain response. Um, past traumas can do the same thing. Um, if you lacking sleep, if you're hungry, if there's, there's so many, um, it's sort of like the biopsychosocial model kind of goes along with it. You know, like what, you know, maybe you got a bad review at work that day or whatever it might be, you're going to feel, you can feel more symptomatic in your tissues, in your body. They can hold on to some of that, that heaviness that's kind of throughout the entire body. Um, I, as I've become older, I, I think some of my my issues growing up were maybe related to some underlying hypermobility. I think some of it is related to trauma response. I think um, that there was some trauma in my childhood that probably did set me on maybe a more guarded path in my body. Maybe I didn't feel it in my brain maybe i put on a good faith maybe i acted like i had it all together but in my body i was um harboring tension constantly and still am um but as i've become older i'm recognizing that and i think that it's so important for people to recognize the influence of trauma on the tissues of their body and that those uh addressing those are just as important as the physical therapy piece working on the actual physical tissues. Um, yeah, so. I love that. And I, my next question is just like a massive one. So I, again, you know, I just, I, I there's much more and everybody was going to look into the show notes and find out how all you offer a lot more. But if someone were to come with you or hear they're listening right now and they're like, gosh, I kind of have this kind of chronic ache in my low back or in my outer hip or what are some of the questions that that the the starting of the inquiry people could investigate beyond just the again the mechanical the structural um, issues the physical therapy quote stuff? Yeah, I mean, I take a pretty broad history. I ask a lot of questions. It's why one of the reasons I I left the more traditional model is so that I could take this time and really listen because I find that so many people in today's uh, medical system that 
probably the number one thing they're not getting is listened to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you're, and you're really missing so much when you're not listening to people and taking that time. So um, what are some some questions or maybe things that people will say? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't come out and I'm just like, you know, have you had, did you have any? Yeah. Past yeah. That's a little bit tricky. Um, I think what cues me most is, um, you know, we're, we're observers. Physical therapists are really good at watching people. And so I watch them very carefully. I watch their body language. I watch the way they speak. I wait. I listen to the way their voice sounds. I listen to the way they tell a story. What um, is behind how they tell that story? What is, what is the tone of the language and the words that they're using when they describe their pain or their story? How much are they going into this doctor never listened to me and um i've been dealing with for so long and i i just you know what is their tone like what is their story like and that kind of cute it, it just starts to paint a picture for me of how um how much this has been on them you know what i'm saying like how heavy this has been on them for how long and that gives me an idea of what they may be holding on to, uh, what their self-beliefs might be regarding the whatever condition they're coming in with, um, whether or not they believe that they can get better. Um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people who sort of have been told certain things um, by other people. So I'm always like, well, what did that person tell you? What did that person tell you? And whatever that they we get out of that conversation gives me an idea of what their beliefs have sort of been molded into over time and how limiting that can be in terms of their their recovery. So I wouldn't say that I'm really asking as many questions as I'm really just observing. Yeah. And and listening and getting sort of a feel. Um, And that's why there's such an art to physical therapy, I think, Mm -hmm. of um, listen, uh, really putting that all together and painting a picture and extracting some things and saying, oh my gosh, this is what's been going on with this person. Um, I, I love that. I love that you said that. And I think that is, that is really a, you know, a gifted therapist who's going to observe and, and really take in like kind of from an, almost an energetic, um, yeah. I can even do it in an email sometimes when I have exchanges, somebody, somebody just wrote me a few days ago and is just, devastated, very young, in major pain, swelling. Of the, I mean, it sounds a lot like a like some kind of regional pain issue type thing, but it's all stemming from what she doesn't even know, like nothing really happened. Right. And what I feel and hear, even though she's not talking, is I, just desperation. Yes. Just this, I want to keep living. I mean, like, oh my gosh. And I've seen this over and over again with chronic pain patients. And it's just, and and to your point, and I saw this with my dad, who was an orthopedic surgeon back in the day. And he would sit home at night and talk on the phone with clients who would call him, which is just unheard of. And he, when I say talk, I'm talking like he wasn't doing it. He was just yeah, um, that's- and, right. And he'd get off the phone and he'd say, people just need to be heard. And I thought, yeah. oh, because they're calling him. They want more of a prescription, you know, more pain medicine. And he's like, I can't do that. But tell me what, you know, it's just like they need to be heard. And I think there's there's such an art, like you said, in doing that and recognizing that the physical therapy can't be separated 
from the other parts of the body. We are not just a body. The body informs the nervous system and informs, and that's informed by our emotions, our history, the way we like relate to the world. So it is a real gift to do that, to just listen and observe. And to, and to connect it further for people who, um, by the time they come to me, it's sort of like, yeah, well, it started with this like foot thing, but now it's in my hip and now it's in my shoulder. And I just feel like I'm so out of whack. And I'm like, well, I had a lady answer. I said, well, what, what's going on? Well, she said, well, I, I tore a tendon in my foot and my doctor told me that I can't bend my toes back at all. And I'm like, well, how the heck are you going to walk then? Like, what? right. You need dorsiflexion your toes. What? And like, so she's not in a boot, nothing. She's just trying to get weight off her toes. And while she's doing that, she's, you know, squeezing the back of her hip and her pelvis and she's twisting her body in weird ways. And she starts to just self-organize her entire body in this completely different movement pattern that is just creating a, a tension and a, tor a, a torque throughout it. And I just had to sit her down and I said, you know, we we got to find another way for you. Like, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. you're going to have to walk and you have to move that toe. I know. Right. I, but I even see people that. who have like bunions or, you know, yeah. that kind of rigid toe and they're like, oh, my doctor said it's not going to get better. I'm like, okay bone even though it's not like this guy here it's not like a like a brittle thing it is malleable and you, you it's you you're either going to get worse or you can possibly get better so here are your paths <laughs> yeah you know? I mean, so people people i mean i am i've been known to be a very blunt person and i will give it to people fairly straight in a very you know kind and respectful way but i'm like listen you know people are just like i've lost hope and i'm like people lose so much hope because they only know what they know and they've lost hope with the tools that they have available to them because those tools maybe haven't worked for them yet or maybe they've only gotten them to a certain point and they can't get beyond that but that if you want that to be your ending point that's fine but there's always a fight left there's always something else that can be done that can be investigated there's always another direction so you can stay where you are or you can continue to put in that action and continue to fight for a little bit more. And I, I do believe that that is it. That is possible in pretty much everybody who I've seen ever. I, I agree. I agree. And, and it's just, and I think also what a landscape to live in that there's possibility versus no hope. I mean, right. the mindset. Right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 So what are your thoughts um, on moving through pain. Like this is always this kind of, yeah. I think in, in PT again, um, the way it's addressed is first of all, the stupid zero through 10 scale, which I personally am like, I'm not sure how helpful that is to somebody. Maybe sure. it is, but I didn't find it ever helpful. And no. I think it's, yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like somebody's coming, they're not, they're scared. Right. What are your thoughts on moving through pain? Yeah. So I, um, used to be very much, you know, conditioned as a new grad PT to be like, stop doing the things you're doing. Like, obviously those things are like hurting you. So why are you going to keep running? Why are you going to keep, you know, doing that move in yoga, like whatever it might be. And over the years and time, I've recognized that that's not helpful <laughs> and actually detract often from their ability to progress. So I am a, now a huge uh promoter of movement um people are actually surprised when i tell them please continue to do this oh i can do that oh okay are you sure yes please keep walking please keep moving 
well, what about this? Well, let's find you something different that you can do that get you the same, whatever benefit you want out of that activity. So that's what I always have to ask. But why are you, why is it you want to do, you know, this piece of equipment? Well, I like this part of it. Well, let's find you something else that get that can get you the same feeling or whatever you're trying to get. So uh, big proponent of it, um, modify, you know, I'm, I'm there to help people continue to do the things that they want to do. Um, but in a way that is more serving for their body. So, um, there, there is a group of people that'll say, Oh, don't do yoga. You know, yoga, yoga is making you worse. No, yoga is not making you worse. You just got to change the way we're doing yoga. We need to watch somebody move through these poses and figure out, oh, wait, yeah, that doesn't look too right. Let me see if we can adjust this. Let's change this. Let's do this a little bit differently. How does that feel? That feel better on your body? Yeah, that feels great. Okay, there you go. Keep going and keep doing your yoga. You know, so it's it's just like, let's just make an effort. <laughs> oh, I love that. And on that note, just really quickly, as a non-yogi kind of, uh, you can just tell us the secret. Like, what do most PTs think about yoga for, in your opinion? Like, or what you've heard? I don't want to, I don't want to speak for most PTs, yeah. but I think that from what I've heard from clients, right? Yeah. Like I went and saw this other PT and they told me that yoga would, you know, and it's all this negative language, like I was talking about before. Um, and I'm like, yoga isn't the problem. Yes. I think most PTs, I would put myself in this category. I don't, it's, it's, if we have any act exercise or movement practice that we're doing and that's all we're doing and we're not really doing much else to sort of create uh to build a foundation that makes that practice more efficient and safer for our body that can lead to trouble right so we always i want people to continue doing the what the movement practice that they really love however they may need to, they may hit this point in that practice where they go, you know what, I probably need to do some strength training on the side so that I can do the yoga that I really love, that I like to do for my head and my mental health and my, you know, all of those other benefits that I love out of it, but I need it to feel better for my body. And I may need to pick up some weights and I may need to do some cross training type stuff to make that, um, so that I can continue doing that. And so that's, I think that's how I look at yoga just like i would with um endurance running or any kind of you know sport like that that's a lot of repetitive stress you know it's the same concept like they may need to step back do some strength training so they can be more um it, it can be more beneficial for their body over yeah. time we're talking yes. longevity stuff you know oh absolutely i'm all about that and that's why really what i'm teaching is really a movement practice and yoga yeah. is part of it it has a lot of physical therapy drills and functional movement in it. And one of the things we do a lot in lit is the developmental stuff on the ground. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's like one out of 50 people I hear, well, what about, I don't feel really good about getting on the ground. And I love, and I, you know, I'm always like, what, <laughs> where did that happen? Like we, we yeah. need to be able to get on the ground for so many reasons. Yeah. And then I look on your Instagram and you have like, what, an 80, 90, I don't know how old she was. And she's like, getting up off the ground without her hands. So I I know I explain all that stuff ad nauseum because again, it, people will have that fixed mindset. Oh, but what about if we're not comfortable getting on the ground? Yeah. Um, what do you say to somebody who says that? 
Yeah, well, that post that you're talking about that that went completely viral. That like get, that was an 84 year old client of mine getting off the ground on one knee, you know, split knee. Yep. Up, no hands, back up, back down, no hands. It's a goal I have for every single one of my clients. Yes. Every, I tell them that the first day, and they look at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like, sorry. <laughs> Love your goals. I right. have mine. I have mine, and and you'll be uh, able to do it. I promise. Yeah. And yeah. I explain and I explain why. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I I just I, there were so many comments on that post that were like so negative, right? Like I can't do that. I can't kneel. My knees are bad. This is impossible. This poor lady. Blah blah. Right. Uh, I know. This is exactly. Oh, I I've had people with double knee replacements do this, and I want to be like, talk to knee. them, right? I mean, they realize like. Even if I've had a surgery, I'm going to be able to need to get off the ground. I'm going to be able to go into this big range of motion. Whether yeah. it's a pure safety thing or function, you need them for both. Am I saying this is going to happen for you today? No, absolutely not. And I'm not saying it's safe for you to start doing it today either. But I'm saying that these are goals that are attainable and are so good for your health. And to just purely dismiss them as like, a, I can't do this, is very. it's sad to me, actually, it's very sad that that's sort of the, the mentality that a lot of people are in. And unfortunately, I think that oftentimes it is um, it is pushed by our medical system. Sometimes um, the woman I saw yesterday with the toe, she was 70 and her doctor just said, well, you know, you're not you're, you're not getting doing old. You're not going to get any better. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, OK, well, I'm extremely active. Like, Right. Yeah. Uh, hello. Well, and this is a problem, too, because it's medical system and then it's like well in our culture culturally like you get older you move to one floor you right. get elastic things on your shoes you know all this stuff it's like you were we're de we're just minimizing our movement variability in this way like well we're all going to decline so let's just make our environment versus let's keep our environment the same and stay healthy and maybe we'll be able to stay in that environment. I mean, my mom is 80 and she's in the same house I was, I grew up in and my dad died four years ago and, and people are like, when's your mom going to move? And I'm like, she'll never move. She is like, oh, I want to tell you how many animals she has them all like, you know, and, and, but she's going down, she's going up and down two or three flights. And it is the thing I'm sure that's keeping her healthy and agile and she gets down on the ground and does all the stuff that I tell her to do. No problem. Gets up without using her hands. It's and, so healthy for like a culture to see older people getting down on the ground. Um, I tell, and I say that to my older clients. I say, you trust me, you don't want to be the grandparent who has to sit in a chair and look down at their baby playing on the floor. I mm. said, you don't want that kind of relation. Or maybe you do, but I would love for you to have a different relationship with your grandchild. I would love for you to be able to get down on the floor with them. It's very important for you. It's very important for them. And it's just to, for children to grow up and see older people in their lives down at their level, getting on the floor, it's going to create a culture for them that is driven around movement and physical activity. And I think that's so important. My mother, my mom's a very, you know, she modeled that very well for me. And I think that's part of why I ended up in the field that I'm in. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's, um, it aging, we shouldn't, we should embrace it. We should, uh, it's not about fighting it. It's about like believing that we can stay functional, stay healthy, stay active, stay joyful. And 
but we're going to have, you know, what we might have gotten away with in our 20s, we have to pay more attention to, right? It's just, you've got more years of living in a certain way. So you've got to, you've got to work with that. And, but it's totally possible. And I think it's something, it's like when they put um, stuff in the children, you know, in the, the, uh, I, I was a presidential order, like getting the kids active. It's like, how about like making sure that we promote aging well and it, and don't just talk about hearing aids and canes and stuff, but yeah, you know, creating assisted yes. applications are in, in our environment. Let's just like keep ourselves very active in what we have. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. With you. Yeah. So you talk a, a lot about breathing um, and breathing is, you know, everybody's like, we all breathe, but what, what is it that we can do to, well, why is, why is paying attention to breathing important? Well, that's like such a huge I know, question. right. I know. I, I'm sorry, Jill. I'm like, you know, and all the big ones at you. No, that's okay. Breath work is going to be, I mean, breath work's always been in yoga, right? But breath work for general health, I think is going to really hopefully start becoming a, a much more important research topic, especially after COVID. I think we're really going to start seeing a lot more come out of that, which is great. Um, but it, it's good for so many like medical health benefits. Um, but for me as a PT, it's so important. I've been using breath as a way to help uh, with joint position, with improving like length, length tension relationships of muscle for you know muscular imbalances, things like that. Um, and for being able to help people modulate and change, you know, internal pressures so that they can um, expand areas of tension in their body and create tightness in areas that maybe aren't getting that that uh, tension that, that might be needed. So that's kind of how I'm using it and mm -hmm. really breath work from like, oh, wait, we have like these shoulders and scapula that are like attached to a rib cage but like in pt school we just like pretended that a rib cage didn't exist and like kind of just like jumped over the pelvis and it's like wait a minute we have lungs inside of our rib cage that we breathe with wait a minute maybe we can influence the position of the ribs and the rib cage by through breath work so that we can change the position of a shoulder and a scapula to allow it to move in a healthier way maybe we can you know activate and, and connect with our diaphragm, which is going to create internal pressure into our abdominals, which is going to create pressure down into the pelvis. Maybe we can connect with our pelvic floor better. Maybe we can use that breath to release the back of the hips and all those tight, you know, deep hip rotators and our psoas and all those muscles that are always chronically tight. Maybe we can connect with the diaphragm, which has fascial attachments to the psoas mm -hmm. to get that muscle to let go. So, um, Lots of, lots of reasons. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So if you had somebody and you were, for anybody that might be like sitting and listening to this, do you have any tips for how to pay attention to breath? I mean, I do think that obviously I liked how you said your breathing can help with postural changes, yeah. but also becoming more aware of your posture can help. I mean, it's a two-way street, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's lots of ways to build that awareness piece, obviously. Um, you're looking at a lot of different things. We're looking at, you know, speed of breath, like, you know, are you taking shallow breaths? How quickly are your inhales? How quick are your exhales? When you, where, where are you breathing into? Do you feel 
expansion happening more at your chest and the front? Do you feel it more through your belly? Do you feel it more through your lateral, um, the sides of your rib cage? Do you feel anything going into your back of your rib cage? Or is that just like, you know, a big dark hole? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's where a lot of people have tension is down that whole back line. And I think with, um, with yoga, sometimes that's one of the things that I like to educate people on because there is so much emphasis on chest opening or, or what, um, heart open hearts, mm-hmm. in, which is fantastic for getting like expansion towards the front. But when we pattern the same pattern, we ignore the other side of the pattern, which is expansion in the back. And mm-hmm. that's when I start to see a lot of those winging scapulas, the, uh, you know, the shoulders that hurt with the chaturangas and all that kind of stuff when we're not putting equal expansion all the way around the rib cage. So just kind of trying to like tap into that a little bit. And then also like, are you able to slow your breath down? How long can you exhale fully and get all that breath out? And can you do it for a long time and softly and slowly and kind of ration it out? And then how long can you pause? And then when you breathe in, are you able to take a nice clean breath in, or does it feel like super panicky? Okay. And it feels, if it feels super panicky, that's an indication to me that you may be stuck in a pattern that's sort of more that shallow breathing pattern, more inflated pattern, and you have a hard time getting your air out um, of the system and kind of compressing a little bit so that we can get good clean air in. So I look at a, obviously a lot of different things. I love that. I, I, I think that's so important. And I agree with you with when I started to really shift the way I was looking at yoga, because I was kind of put it in a box and didn't and like kept it separate from my PT. But then I was looking at all this major extension patterns. And, and a lot of it is just kind of collapsing in a joint, quite frankly, it might be pulling in some tissue, but it's just more of a, it's a big thrust. And when I started just teaching, like lifting up in the side and breathing into the side ribs, it was, people were so resistant. I was like, you're not any less spiritual if you don't go like this, right? <laughs> like I had to start making a joke of it because I would go and start teaching and I'd be saying it, being in front of people and they just, the habit was so this. Yeah. And, um, but it, you're right, it changes the way you breathe. It changes the way you connect to your core because of course the breath supports the core, the core supports the breath, all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, So and, and, and not to like, there's different types of breathing for different types of purposes, right? But when we, the belly breathing thing too, like belly breathing is not diaphragmatic breathing. Like it's not the same. Amen. Oh my gosh. Uh, we could go, so, we, this could be a whole thing. Cause people are oh my, 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 my teach my teachers will write me immediately after seeing an Instagram post when somebody says, relax your belly and breathe into it. And I'm like, okay, that's good. What are you trying to do? If you're trying to relax and go to bed, great. If you're yeah. trying to move through space and support your weight, uh, no, that's not what you want to do. Your lungs are up here. You need some core support down here. That doesn't mean like hold your breath. But yeah, there's just it there. There are so many nuances and you can't just insert and do it all the time because then you're not going to be effective. Just like our muscles have different demands. We don't just always say hold it in, hold your bicep in a concentric contraction because that's the best place for it to be. Right. And our body's just one big pressure system, right? Yeah. It's like leaking forward into our abdominal wall then we're not getting that pressure expansion anywhere else. So where you feel tight in your chest, like in the front of your shoulders from sitting at your desk all day or where your low back feels tight and 
um, that you're not getting that expansion into the rib cage up top because you're letting it all come forward. Um, I, I work a lot with women with um, anybody really with the pelvic floor to help support the pelvis. Same deal there. If all your pressure goes forward, you're not getting that good, like stimulating sensory to the whole pelvic bowl to really like get in touch with your hip muscles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know. And, and and manage the different demands. Like the pelvic floor isn't just like this or just like this. It has to, it's, it's needs yeah, to be responsive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. Lengthen and contract and it, and it needs that stimulus from up above from the thoracic diaphragm to come downward and help create that relationship. Yeah. yeah it's, it's always, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so interesting, all all the things. And I think we're, you know, um, that's what I think going out on your own, like you did and I've done, is allows you to bring in the different ingredients, because there are so many, um, into, you know, just raising the bar in high quality function and movement. Yeah. What, um, was there like one specific thing or was just, just a cumulative stress of just working in a clinic and not feeling satisfied with the time you got? What, was there anything that just like was like, I can't do this anymore and I'm opening up my own or? Um, I think it was like a slow burn. <laughs> like it, um, you know, I was just like, I was finding myself on my lunch breaks having to um, go into a treatment room and nap for like 20 minutes. I would set an alarm and I would, cause I was like, I can't do the second half of this day. You mm-hmm. know, I. Mm-hmm. I just not being able to have any time in my day to like get my oil changed or go to a dentist appointment. Like the, the flexibility of my schedule was um, getting tiresome, but also the, mostly the limitations I felt, um, I, you know, like PT school, they're like, Oh yeah. Like vision 2020, like you're going to be totally autonomous. And like, you know, like you can do anything you want as a PT and like, they don't have to go to a doctor before they see you. And it's like, wait a minute, I thought that's the way it was going to be. And it just wasn't. And I was like, I don't want to be put in this box. I don't, I didn't feel good, like morally and ethically telling somebody like that that's here for their knee. And then also tells me that like their shoulders bothering them, that like they have to go back to a doctor and like talk to them about it. And like, get an order and like, then they can come back. I just, it didn't feel good to me. Like I was like, this is garbage, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah. I was tired of it. And I was like, I just got to get out and I got to do my own thing. And it just, it started to really wear on me to the point where, um, you know, I was in a previous relationship and it like, I was in such, I, it, it tore up my relationship because I was just negative and in a bad mood all the time. And I hate my job and my bosses, you know? And I was just like, this is, nutty like I gotta get out of here <laughs> so it did hit a breaking point with just all of those things so for anyone who is listening because I do have a lot of PTs and I I do get a lot of PTs on here who are you know working for themselves like what what were the first steps of of opening your own practice I'm not talking about logistics of like getting all the you know the money yeah. stuff in play or whatever. I'm just talking about like for yourself and how how you started to promote yourself and get people to know about what you were offering. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Um, well, for me, the biggest barrier was overcoming like fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so I 
with like, I can't do this. I know nothing about business. I am a PT. Like, you know, PT school, they don't do anything about business. Yeah. <laughs> aren't we all aren't we all like what i still to this day i feel like some days i'm like this is what adulting is like but i don't i still don't think i'm, I'm an adult i'm like what am i doing <laughs> right so i was just like i can't do this i don't know anything about you know accounting or doing my books or like getting it was very overwhelming to think of like all the things i had to do um but i I just sort of like had to accept help for that. You know, my husband came in and was like, I don't care what it is that you need to make this happen. Like I will do it for you. Like whatever help you. So finding accepting help, which is sometimes hard to do. Um, and 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 knowing that you have that help can be extremely motivating and empowering to get over that hump. Um but after that for marketing and getting getting the word out um honestly it's kind of what we were talking about before like your your skill set in my opinion is sort of like 10% of what you bring you know so i being the best pt in the world and just considering that is going to like build your business i don't think is the right strategy i think you really have to if you're, I do a cash pay model. So it's like people are, you know, they're going to pay their own money and, and you better be bringing something that they're not getting somewhere else. So they, they can get a pretty good PT somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to bring that listening piece. You got to bring that, you know what I, I, the, 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 um, the advocate piece, you know, like, I don't know if I, I, this isn't really my scope, but I'm going to find somebody else for you and you go and do that and you go the extra step and just being like that all around person and building relationships with people and being authentic, truly authentic to who you are and why you want to be there and not just thinking like, I'm just trying to make money, but really think continuing to think on that path of why am I doing this? I want to help people. And that will carry you through to the end. And you'll just sort of start picking it away at it. Um, my marketing is not towards doctors because they're like, Oh, you don't take insurance. We can't, you know, we can't, we can't refer to you. Well, you can, yeah. it's like, you know, I market to like, you know, other allied health professionals, you know, other massage therapists and acupuncturists and, um, you know, trainers and other people who we all share the same client. Like, so thinking of, you know, whoever you're trying to get in your door, who are the other people that that person's also going to, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like going to the running shoes store. Okay. Well, go talk to those people and tell them who you are, you know, or whatever it might be. So just kind of thinking that way in terms of like what your referral source may not be what you think it was when you were working for a traditional model, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it totally does. And I, I love that you said, I think that it's the nurturing piece, it beyond just the intelligence and experience that. Yeah, you're really you're taking care of someone and you're pulling for them and you're going to, you know, do all the things you can to make sure that um, that they walk away feeling better in general, just like healthier in every way. Even if it's just better peace of mind. Yes. Maybe I didn't actually make much progress on whatever issue it is, but they feel better. They feel more secure. They feel like they're in good hands. They feel like they have a plan. They feel like someone's there for them. Those things, those are the things that have somebody coming back in for a second visit. Absolutely. Okay? Not so much like, oh, my shoulder feels so much better when I walked out the door. 
though you want, you might want to make sure you give them a little bit of some of that. Yeah. But most of it's going to come, that repeat business is going to come from a relationship and a connection that you have built with somebody from the very first business. Yes. So as somebody who's doing this for others, I I can imagine that you must have like you have some probably non-negotiable self-care tools um, or is there something more you could be doing? I mean, what do you do for yourself to kind of right? Because, I, you know, people sometimes look at it like it is this um, in, you know, whatever in, in some game, like I'm putting out all this and therefore there's I've emptied myself. And I think when you are caring, it, you get a lot in return. So it isn't to at all say like, we as caregivers are only give pretty, you know, so then we have to go like fill ourselves back up. I think we, I get so much from the people I work with. I think it's an absolute two-way street. So I think I, that's important to clear up. Nonetheless, it is important to be able to come with that full kind of high vibe by taking care of yourself on the outside as well. So do you have some things that are like, I have to do this to be my best Jill self yeah. At, at home and at, at work, we know that yeah. usually at home, that's where it really falls apart. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. That's where it falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> totally right. Like the job is so rewarding. Everybody knows that who's a PT. It's, it's, it's such a rewarding job, but like it's also draining. Everybody knows that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really draining. You're, you're speaking, you're spending your whole day with people who hurt for the yeah. most part. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's very challenging um, emotionally for you over time. You probably don't even realize it. And so I think that the if the what it's doing to you ends up coming out in other ways, like being short with your partner or, you know, being snappy or, um, you know, flustered or, you know, feeling whatever it is. Yeah. Those, those things happen. And it took me a long time to recognize that connection and once i did it also took me a long time to figure out what i needed to do what would work for me my husband would always when we first met he always want how's your day he wanted to do this thing like how's your day how'd your day go how'd your day go and i was like i don't want to talk about my day like i don't want to talk, like because i'm talking to people all day and he's sitting at a computer all day which I get it. He wants to talk, but I, I realized I needed to communicate with him that I need, I might need like 30 minutes to an hour of not talking. I might have to go upstairs. I might need to take, I like to take a shower. Like I don't, there's something about like just getting cleansing the day. Yeah. I don't know. Just, it's just a restart for me. So I like to get a shower and then I come come down and I'm like a much more, you know, sane person. So a shower works for me. Um, you know, just having to step back, setting those boundaries of um, like, I can't do all the things that everybody needs right now because I'm still feeling a little bit uneasy on edge from my day and just sort of being a better communicator, I think, is something I'm still working on. I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, gosh, I think that's lifelong. (laughs) Like, oh, I could have done that a little bit. I think that's, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I'm certainly like more aware of the things I need to work on. <laughs> yeah, my husband's the same way. He mostly works and doesn't interact with a lot of people. And he'll be like, like a little puppy. Hi. Yeah. Yes. And then I'm just like, uh, I've been yeah. talking to people. Yeah, so it is kind of funny, like just being able to say like, I, it's not you, but I need to be by myself. And I think yeah, that's- I need, to be, I need to do something active that's by myself, mm-hmm. Before I come home. So I, I like to go to the gym. It's not like I have to do this like crazy 
work out every time, but I need some time to like either go to the gym, go for a walk. Like if it's nice out, I live in a beach town, so go out to the beach, just something that's like alone time. Yeah. Um, I had a real young one. I didn't do that. And I, I had a problem stepping away from personal and I just, it was a mistake. Like I just realized how important that was. So I'm curious just um, from like, again, not that every, everybody's different, but I'm I'm genuinely curious. What do you do knowing that you have this background that has some hypermobility syndrome? Mm-hmm. What do you feel like you need to get in regularly? I'm not talking about necessarily every day to keep your body feeling its best. And I'm imagining it's going to be strength training, but I don't want to take that away yeah it is strength and strength was not something i had a strong background in it was not something i was comfortable with you you know as well as i do pt school does not teach you how to um prescribe exercise it doesn't teach you anything about exercise it's shocking actually um and so that's something that i've really had to learn on my you know through through time um but when i did start to learn that you know there's something like you can have weights higher than 15 pounds in and lift. <laughs> How about those grocery bags that you sometimes like because you want to make it in on one trip? That's usually more than 15 pounds. But anyway, yeah. So for me, like creating that good, healthy tension in my body mm-hmm. was helpful in reducing sort of that artificial tension that I was trying to create to support a more hypermobile system. Um, not to say that it's great or perfect by any means, but it is certainly helpful. And I can feel when I, you know, go on a trip and I don't work out or, you know, there's time, you know, I'm sick or whatever it might be. I feel my body start to creep back into the achy places. And I just know I got to go do something about it. And that means I have to go back to the gym and I have to start building up that strength again. And within a day or two, I start to feel better. Yeah. That's the big thing. And I think just being like confident that, you know, you have it, there is a solution and now you have it and it might not be perfect and that might, you know, but you have something that you can do to help yourself and you don't feel so helpless in this, like, oh, this thing that just keeps coming back and I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) Exactly. I think it's so true to be able to find something. And, and I think this is fairly novel, at least in the PT world certainly in the yoga world but this like idea of if something is bothering you you might need to stretch it more and in fact we, a lot of times we need to actually bring strength to that area because it's like signaling and we're just interpreting that signal as mm-hmm. like oh it feels like it's all constricted i need to stretch it and can you just explain just briefly before i let you go because i know you've been talking here for a while um why that's effective for somebody like you with with a hypermobility syndrome or or anybody who might be sitting around at a desk and rounded shoulders and feeling slumpy you, why strength training actually might be and that strength training maybe weight it could be body weights it could be a variety of things so you don't have to people don't sometimes just picture like i'm not a gym person i'm, I'm not going to go there so it doesn't yeah, have to be that it's not like you have to be even lifting weights but it is like creating this tension in the body these isometrics so sometimes in yoga like for example, you'll see, you know, you're kind of hanging in the pose and you're just flowing to the next one and you're hanging in that one. And there's no, not in my type of yoga, Jill. I know. <laughs> no, yeah. but I know what you mean. That's I I, you're right. You're totally no. right. Though. I didn't no, I know. But you're, but yes, that's absolutely a very, very common vinyasa flowing. Yeah. Right. You're hanging to joints and you're going because people think that's what they should be doing. 
They right. think, oh, the goal is to get as bendy as possible when, in fact, I say, hold into yourself as much as possible. Right, right. So you've you've got it. I, I mean, it, it it's just it's just adding load to those same concepts. Yep. Yep. Just got to. Yeah. Adding load is going to first of all, <laughs> anytime you add load, you're going to get more kind of novelty for the brain is going to start paying attention more right because it's a different amount and then the muscles are going to have to come in you've got these motor units they're going to be recruited all of these things you see you're just getting actually in a way it's like pumping energy into an area that has been sucked on you know yeah, yeah so a little one of those yeah but i think that classic example is like the hamstrings right so like yeah my hamstrings feel tight. It's like, well, when I do a hamstring test on you, your legs like behind your head, like your hamstrings are not mechanically tight. Like, let's get real with that. Right. But they feel tight because they're like craving. They, they feel threatened sometimes. Like it's mm -hmm. like they're so over lengthened that they don't have the hold that they need to support your body. And they feel threatened. And they're like, oh my gosh, like if you stretch me anymore, I'm going to lose it. And this whole body is going to lose its composure. So it's like, we need to create the tension needed in that system to support the posturing. When I say posture, I don't mean like shoulders back. I mean like the align, the overall alignment of how we're supporting and setting up our whole body from our feet to our pelvis and our rib cage and our head all the way up. And it, and it starts from like an anchoring, I call it, of like that hamstring on that pelvis to hold that in place um, as sort of like an anchor point for everything else to work off of. Okay. Yeah. And so that's just one example of a muscle that we just need to hold a little bit more of that tension. But I think it's hard for hypermobiles because for lots of different reasons, but, um, they're tired, like their bodies have to work harder to posture, mm -hmm. to hold themselves up against gravity because their ligament integrity is more lax so they're not able to create that internal sense of stability around their joints so their muscles are like well if the ligaments aren't going to do it we'll hold on super extra tight so they are just tired and fatigued of from having to hold you up all day long and so there's it's hard sometimes for people with hypermobility to strength train because it's incredibly taxing on their body and they feel very burned out and and um and it's hard to sort of stick with it. So I think that getting into strength training is important, but understanding some of the limitations, if you are one of those people that feel like this just wears me out, then trying to find sort of that middle ground is important. Yes. Oh, well, I could talk to you forever. I can't wait to meet you when I come down to Charleston. Yeah. And I want everybody to know all about you. So can you share, like, we'll have this in the show notes, but where would you like people to come and find out more about you? Yeah, well, I'm mostly visible on Instagram, uh, Jill Zimmerman PT. I post a lot on Instagram. I post a lot of free content that, um, you know, for people tell me is really helpful. So I, and that, and I did that purposely um, when COVID started, I really just wanted to share what I know and to help people with however I can, because I want to empower them to get the help that they need. Um, from whoever it is in their community or whatever. But if you don't know, then you can't go ask somebody else for help. So they can find me there. And then from there, you can find my, you know, my website and everything like that. But that's probably the best place to find me. Um, 
and my website is perfectlyfitcharleston.com if you're not on Instagram and you just want to kind of look check around. it out check it out I know oh that's so wonderful well I love what you're doing and you we didn't even get into the fact that you have great humor with it and you're very humble and and you just share a lot and I just really have appreciated talking to you now but also getting to know you on Instagram so thank you so much for taking the time yeah thanks and I'm and I'm look at Make sure you get in touch with me when you come to Charleston, and I'll- I will. <laughs> we'll we'll, t- we'll we'll have a chat. All right, uh, everybody who's listening, go check out Jill. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.